Mark chapter 4, verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Catherine. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we pray that you would send the Holy Spirit so that we can understand more about Jesus and respond to him as you want us to. Amen. Uh, We're going to carry on this morning the series of sermons from the first few chapters of Mark's Gospel. Now, I suspect that listening to that reading a few moments ago, some of you may have felt that it contained a fairly disparate uh, group of material. 
But I think if we think about the context of what Jesus was saying, we will see that there are connections between the various parts of the reading. So I suggest we do that by beginning by looking at the first half of Mark chapter 4. And could I urge that you have that open in front of you? It's on page 1005, I think, of the church Bibles, and you will find those church Bibles in the benches in front of you. Mark chapter 4, right at the start. And if you look right at the start, you will see that Jesus uh, was teaching the people by the lake, that's by the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 2, we read that he taught the people many things in parables. And one of those things, of course, was the parable of the sower, which we looked at in our all-age service last week. But what we didn't look at in that all-age service was the disciples' response to what Jesus said. And the reason we didn't was because that is really a bit complex for an all-age service. However, if you look down at verse 10 here, you'll see what they did. It says that when Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And in Mark's gospel, it's clear that their real question was, why did Jesus teach in parables at all? And that explains why Jesus answered that question. Verse 11, he told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, which we'll be looking at in the autumn. But it's the kind of answer which I'm sure Jesus was aware gives rise to more questions than it really answers. And you can imagine the disciples being rather puzzled. Was Jesus saying that he was hiding his teaching, even hiding who he was from people? And why was it that he'd chosen them to reveal himself to rather than anybody else? Well, Jesus didn't immediately answer those questions. He gave an explanation of the parable of the sower. And I suspect that that explanation gave rise to still more questions in the disciples' mind. In particular, the explanation of the parable of the sower suggested that what determines whether the uh, gospel will bear fruit, whether the seed will yield a crop, is the reception it gets from people, whether they are good soil or bad soil. But how did that fit with his explanation of his teaching in parables, which suggested that it all depended on Jesus to decide who received the seed and who didn't? How did that fit together? Furthermore, it's all very well to talk about seed falling on good soil and then it grows and yields a crop. Well, how does that happen? What's it necessary to do to ensure that happens? And more generally, the disciples were a little bit impatient. And this all sounds really rather slow, doesn't it? How was Jesus going to grow this kingdom he kept talking about if he went about it this way? 
You can imagine all sorts of questions in the disciples' minds. And with that in mind, we need to turn to our passage, which is what Jesus was saying later uh, in the same day. I should mention that, as I've said before, we should not assume that the Gospels are written in chronological order. They're not. Oh, of course, in general terms, they have a chronological framework. They start with Jesus' birth and his early ministry, and they end up with his death and his resurrection. But within that, the Gospel writers were not particularly concerned with chronology. They were concerned to bring out the significance of who Jesus was and his teaching, and they ordered their material accordingly. And that's why we find the same event in different places in different Gospels. Nonetheless, there's good reason to believe that what we're reading about today followed on immediately after what we read about in the first half of Mark chapter 4. Essentially, what Jesus was doing was addressing the implicit questions of the disciples. Now, he didn't give full answers, and I'm not going to be able to give full answers today either, But what he said, I'm sure, helped the disciples, and I believe it will help us as well. So what did he say? Verse 21, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? Pretty obvious, isn't it? You don't turn on a lamp to hide it. You turn on a lamp to make sure it gives light and you can see it and everything else by it. Now, Jesus used that analogy on other occasions. In particular, he used it during the Sermon on the Mount. And on that occasion, what he was saying is that we, his followers, are like a lamp. And we should let our lamp shine before people. We should do good things so that people see them and give glory to God. But that wasn't his point on this occasion. He was using the analogy for a different purpose. Look in verse 22. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Had Jesus come into the world in order to hide himself and hide his teaching? Of course he hadn't. He'd come into the world in order that people should see who he was and and understand his teaching. He'd come so that his teaching would be known. And that, of course, is exactly what happened. He explained things to his disciples. It says in verse 34 that he explained the parables to them. And we had an example of that in the parable of the sower. And they, in turn, told other people. And they made sure that his teaching was written down in the Bible so that successive generations could see it as we see it today. No, Jesus meant his teaching to be made known, not to be hidden. But how does that fit in with what he said about teaching in parables? Let's have a look at verse 24 and 25. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Who has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
There's two little pithy sayings in there which Jesus used on various occasions. Uh, He was never one to waste a good figure of speech or analogy. But on those other occasions, he, he was making a slightly different point. What's his point here? He's told everyone in verse 23 that we need to hear, we need to listen. And verse 24, we need to consider carefully what he says, his words. And by the way, when Jesus says consider carefully, he doesn't mean consider academically. He means consider practically. He said that we should be doers of his words, not hearers only. He's saying, listen carefully, consider carefully in practice, putting into practice what I say. Now, there are many reasons why we should do that, but one that he's saying here is because the more you do that, the more you will receive Jesus' teaching, the more you will understand, the more you will be able to put into practice. And correspondingly, the less you do that, the less you will understand, the less you will receive. And that's part of a general spiritual principle. There's no standing still with God. We can't, as it were, stay being lukewarm for Jesus. Either we seek to understand what he's saying and go on an upward spiritual path, a a, a path upwards of spiritual growth, or we don't, in which case we will slide down a slope of spiritual atrophy. If we do seek to hear and consider his words, then we will be on that path of spiritual growth. If we don't, we'll be sliding down to spiritual atrophy. You see, the general principle is that whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have or think they have, will be taken away from them. That's how we should behave. That's what, what we should bear in mind as, as we behave. But, but let's ask again, what's that got to do with Jesus teaching in parables? Well, think about it for a moment. Parables divide people. By their very nature, you have to work at them. They don't present teaching, as it were, on a plate. They require that we think and give consideration. Furthermore, I think you'll find that in order to benefit from the parables, we need to accept Jesus' authority and also have faith in him. And the problem is, a lot of people aren't prepared to think carefully and consider carefully what the parables are saying. And even if they were, they don't accept Jesus' authority or have faith in him. To go back to the parable of the sower, they're like the bad soil. But if we are prepared to work at the parables, if we are prepared to come at them accepting Jesus' authority with faith in him, then we find that they contain clear, uh, concise, uh, and very memorable teaching from which we benefit. I bet if I asked each one of you afterwards uh, about what you remember most about Jesus' teaching, I bet you remember the parables far more than other narrative passages. 
I bet that's where you, where you benefit most from Jesus' teaching, because there's wonderful teaching there. But they divide people. And we need to make sure that we are like the good soil, such that we do consider these parables and put them into practice. Okay, but what about the other questions that the disciples doubtless had? In particular, how is it that God's word changes people such that that seed grows and yields a crop in their lives? How does does that happen? Verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Jesus told his disciples to tell people about him. That's what he was saying when he said that they should shine, let their lights shine. And he was saying to them here, look, it's your job to tell people about me, but don't worry about what happens next. Don't worry about whether the people are good soil or bad soil. Don't worry about how spiritual growth occurs. That's not your job. That's God's job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. A few years later, Paul made a similar point. He was doubtless aware of what Jesus had said. And writing to the Corinthians, he talked about his own ministry there. And he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That's the key point. That's God's job. You see, when we think about Jesus' teaching in our own context, when we think about its application to our own lives, we need to work at it. We need to make sure that we are good soil. But when we're talking to other people, when we're sharing the gospel with them, and don't forget, Jesus does ask us to do so, when we do that, we should simply see ourselves as scattering the seed, We shouldn't feel it's our job to make sure that they are good soil. We can't do that in any event. And we shouldn't see it as our job, as it were, to be responsible for the the maturing of the seed. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to be faithful as the sower. Back to the disciples' questions. The problem is that all this sounds really rather slow, doesn't it? All this business about a seed growing slowly. So what was going to happen? Verse 30. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The disciples were very few in number, but Jesus was saying they were simply the beginning 
of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God would grow. And of course it did. It grew to places that the disciples could not possibly have known about or conceived would exist. Throughout their lives, they were a small minority group, on occasions persecuted. But they were the first fruit. The seed was germinating. God's plant, the mustard plant, was beginning to grow. And of course, it's grown ever since. Jesus was encouraging them, telling them that things would happen in God's time. I think sometimes we can become a bit discouraged, particularly in modern secular Britain. We can feel that uh, we're a small minority. Uh, God's kingdom doesn't seem to be growing. But it is. People are becoming Christians all the time. I believe I'm right in saying that over 50% of all the Christians in the history of the world are alive today. Now, of course, in part, that's because of population growth. But God's kingdom continues to grow. We need to be careful because Jesus warned us that his people would never be a majority. Do you remember? He said that the way is wide that leads to destruction and many people follow it. Uh, The gate is narrow that leads to life and few find it. So we need to remember that as well. But we do need to remember that God's kingdom is growing. And if we are discouraged, we should come back to this parable of the mustard seed and reflect on it. The disciples didn't know what was going to happen next, but it was tremendous. And nor do we know what's happening next. What we can be sure of is God's kingdom is growing. And that brings us to the final bit of our passage today, which isn't teaching at all. It's something that happened. Uh, Jesus had been teaching all day with crowds. He was doubtless tired. And when evening came, he and some of his disciples got into a few boats and headed across the Sea of Galilee. That's a big sea, and there was time for Jesus to fall asleep. Uh, Furthermore, it, it was, and indeed still is, prone to violent storms. And we're told that one of these storms blew up. Verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. You can preach an entire sermon on that. Don't worry, I'm not going to do so. I just want to make two connected points. The first arises from verse 40. Take a look at that. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Implicit in all that he'd been saying earlier in the day was a call on people, and particularly his disciples, to trust him, to uh, rely on his teaching, to base their lives on it. But Could he be trusted? 
On what basis could he be trusted? And in this event, he showed them that he would protect their physical lives. He showed he could be trusted in relation to that and implicitly showed that he could be trusted uh, with their lives in other senses. They could rely on his teaching. They could rely on him to fulfill his promise that he would give them eternal life because he proved himself to be trustworthy. That was an encouragement to the disciples and it should be an encouragement to us. But there's something more. Verse 41 They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. It's quite amusing if you think about it. The disciples had been in this terrible storm and they were terrified. They thought they were going to drown. Jesus stilled the storm and they stopped being terrified about it and instead were terrified about Jesus. You might think that's a bit strange, but think about it for a moment. There's this incredible storm going on. Then Jesus stands up, he rebukes the wind, and says to the waves, quiet, be still. And it happens. How would you react? And Jesus used no magical incantations, No ceremony of any kind. He didn't invoke anyone else, not even God. He issued commands on his own authority and nature obeyed him. Can you imagine sitting in that boat, still, with the evening surrounding you, the night, and Jesus standing there? Who was he? I I think we, we often behave as if we believed that ancient people were um, gullible and stupid. They weren't. These disciples were hard-bitten fishermen. They were sailors. They weren't gullible and stupid. And in particular, they knew that people cannot command the elements and be obeyed. It just doesn't happen but they had just seen Jesus do it. Now, modern, sophisticated sceptics say that people just can't do that, and accordingly, this didn't happen. And of course, if Jesus was simply a man, they're right. But suppose he wasn't. Suppose he was the creator and sustainer of the entire natural order. What then? Well, in that case, what we read here wouldn't be impossible. Indeed, I'd suggest in that case, and indeed only in that case, it would be exactly what we would expect him to be able to do. As many of you will be aware, in John's Gospel, John calls Jesus' miracles signs. Signs of who Jesus was. And that's exactly what this is. 
it, it was a sign to the disciples and a sign to us now of who Jesus was, indeed of who Jesus is. Think back to what Jesus had been saying earlier. Jesus was calling on his disciples to show faith in him, to consider his words carefully, to put them into practice, to rely on them in his lives, in their lives. He was calling on them to do all this despite the fact they didn't understand how spiritual growth occurred and despite the fact that the kingdom of God seemed to be expanding at a very slow pace He called on them to rely on him that it really was growing. He called on them to trust him. And he calls on us to trust him. Why? Why should we? Well, because he showed here that he is the son of God. The second person of the Holy Trinity. God incarnate. That's why. Amen.